Welcome to the Jess Larson Show on Innovation and Leadership. Uh, this episode, excited to have Nicole Jensen on the show. Nicole, thanks for doing this. Yeah, thanks for having me. So uh, we talked a little bit beforehand, but I really want to talk about the last 15 years yep. and your your marketing background, stuff you've done for GoPro and Amazon and, and all these places. Uh, I want to talk about becoming an influencer yourself, and we'll talk about both sides of hiring and being hired mm-hmm. and uh, and how you've kind of packaged that for the advice you're giving CEOs these days. And then I want to talk about kind of your journey of becoming a CEO and now putting all these skills to use for yourself. So let's start with uh, your company where you are giving CEOs advice on their marketing, what they should do, what they shouldn't do. Are they getting what they want out of out of the uh, agencies they've hired? Tell us about those kind of audits. I spent probably 15 years of my career in the marketing agency world. So I got to see a lot of different things. And then I started going into, um, I became in-house. And when I went in-house to a company, I saw that they were just getting raked over the coals by this agency who was running their ads. So they were starting doing these paid ads and their website wasn't even converting. It just, it wasn't set up to convert. The conversion rate was like 0.2%. And so they were spending all these this money on ads but it wasn't converting. And so we ended up um, firing them and just redoing a bunch of our messaging before we ran ads. So I had this idea of so many companies don't even know the right questions to ask. And so I started this company called um, Ghost Consultants, where basically I come in and I audit what the other agencies are doing. And I I kind of become this matchmaker. It's more of like a fractional CMO where... I'm able to see what these companies are doing and assess, are you getting a good deal from the agency? Would you be better off doing something else? A lot of times they don't even know the right questions to ask. So I was working with a, a VC firm out of um, uh, Canada and they had an agency build this whole website for them on WordPress. and all the apps that they needed and their business model, they actually needed it on Shopify, but they didn't even know to ask. They they just went to an agency and said, hey, we need a website and they built a WordPress website. And so a lot of times these agencies don't have your full business strategy in mind. And so with my marketing experience, business strategy experience, I can come in and kind of assess what the agencies are doing and match make them to ask the right questions. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some of the background. So talk to us about GoPro or Amazon or Samsung. What are you guys doing there when you, when you spent those years? Yeah, so I was mostly on the content marketing side. And so for GoPro, they came in and said, hey, we want this content piece for our internal team to motivate them. And then we also did a, an external piece as well. But basically, they came in, said their needs, and then we strategized around um, what the overall strategy was, the copywriting, the design, and then disseminated that too with the um, the one that was for their outside audience. Then we did PR and, and influencer stuff around that. So. so let's talk about this for a second. So GoPro is so well known for mm-hmm. epic content marketing, yes. right? And yet all of us have a tough time being objective for ourselves. Mm-hmm. So somebody is that good at content marketing what are the kind of nuances you help them see or what were the kind of things that you helped them look at that maybe they were too close to see? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So a lot of times in ha- when you're in-house in a company, 
you're down in the weeds. And so when you're down in the weeds and you're around the product all the time, it's hard to put your head up and put yourself in the actual client's or potential customer's shoes because you're so familiar with the product. It's like, oh yeah, this is obvious. And so a lot of times it's helpful to have an outside perspective because they're not as familiar with their product. And so they they know what the audience needs to needs to be educated on because they're coming in with fresh eyes. So it's really helpful actually to have those fresh eyes come in because when you get so used to your messaging, your um, your product, you don't even know. It's it's hard to put yourself back in those shoes of not knowing anything about the product. It's interesting internal marketing. It's not something that gets talked about as often. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've worked for some of the biggest media companies in the world, and just this summer. One of them was bringing up like uh, a whole thing we've done for them, a whole series, uh, kind of like the unintended benefit of yeah. how much it's helped internally and how they keep having people come back to them and say like, wow, that's making a difference. I didn't realize so-and-so was doing this in their own company. Oh, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's something that like I think gets passed over. We're, at least in the business media, I feel like we talk so much about getting the investors or getting the big enterprise accounts. Mm -hmm. And we say things like, oh, we need to recruit top talent. But so often we're not talking about um, being the kind of place that top talent gets a referral into because your your staff are like raving fans Mm -hmm. or like taking the people you've got and getting to the next level. It's like it's like a it's like a side project HR thing. It's Mm -hmm. not like something that the CEOs talk about yet. When you get like, you know, when I get like the most accomplished CEOs on here, it's like on their short list of like, here, here's the four things I do as a CEO. Mm-hmm. And that people piece of that people piece is such a big element compared to how much I hear about it talked in the press. Yes. Um, this is a bit of a transition to your fitness world stuff. Yeah. So um, can you talk about how you got tens of thousands of followers for that? And then uh, specifically, let's talk about how it can apply in a workplace. For sure. Yeah, so I've always loved nutrition and fitness. Um, I actually majored in health science back in the day, so that was kind of originally what my my passion was, and then I minored in business marketing. And so I got really – I kind of felt like I was in this weird place in my life where I was doing an okay job at things, but I wasn't, I wasn't really excelling at my job, life. I just kind of felt stuck a little bit. And so I decided, you know what, I'm going to do something hard and I'm going to challenge myself and I'm going to do one of the NPC bodybuilding competitions. And it was hard. You have to train a certain way, eat a certain way. And I woke up every morning at 4 a.m. to get my workouts in. And and so that was something where it was hard, but I also felt super empowered and I realized for myself just how important that was to, to do hard things. When we do hard things, both in our personal and our professional lives, it helps us with this internal confidence that then just accentuates every other aspect of our life. And so I saw that firsthand in my life. And I was like, if this is helping me, just like focusing on doing something hard and um, focusing on what I'm eating and exercising and this is helping me in my work life, then obviously it can also help my employees. And so I started just having meetings, every team meeting that we would have, we would talk about our personal goals and our professional goals and what we were doing for that week. And I took a huge interest in 
those aspects of their lives because it, it actually helped me as their boss to to have them do a better job in things. And so um, I started just this fitness Instagram where I would post just fitness tips and nutrition tips and it kind of it took off. I mean, I'm I'm still a small fish in a big pond, I feel like, but um, it was really motivating to me uh, to see these people that I was just helping through like inspirational posts or, hey, I ate this today. Um, I think that there are a lot of different types of diets and um, ways to eat out there. I'm more of a healthy lifestyle person. I think everything works. Some things just work better. And so um, anyway, I just I kind of started that and it brought me a lot of different opportunities, which has been awesome. But at the end of the day, the reason why I did it was just because that's how I live my life and that's what I'm passionate about. And so it's been cool to see just how that that's overflowed to all the other aspects of my life. Well, I want to talk about this because almost every single CEO friend I have, founders, um, I would say I, I would have a hard time coming with any of them that feel like they're doing a good enough job on their uh, working and eating, mm -hmm. working out yeah. and eating. Okay. Yeah. And especially when you have like a serious job and you feel like you're kind of like using the willpower battery up of like, yep. or and then go home to the kids and family and stuff. And mm -hmm. so can you talk about just willpower hacks? Because I'm assuming like you're still like doing these big projects for Amazon. This You're not doing this instead of a day job. You're doing this on top of a day job. Yeah, on top. Yeah, I mean, there, willpower is an interesting thing because it's important. But at the end of the day, knowing your why behind why you're doing it and the intention behind it, I think is the most important thing. And so setting, I mean, I, I went through this exercise myself where I set my why of, okay, why is this important to me? So my background's interesting. I, um, I actually spent six months at an eating disorder clinic back when I was in college. And so I saw firsthand how nutrition and movement and all of that affected my life in a very negative way. And so um, I talk a lot about that. Actually, that was kind of how I built my platform on social media was, hey, like I came from this place and now I'm focusing on getting stronger and how it helps your life. And so for me, I I got to this point where I was like, this is the way that I'm not eating in that case um, is directly affecting the things that I love to do and the people that I want to help and the difference that I want to make. And so um, I wrote down my why of the reason why I eat healthy, exercise, do all of these things is so then I can fulfill my purpose, which I think everyone in their life should go through that exercise as well of putting together, um, they call it a, like a personal philosophy statement. So one, put together your personal philosophy statement of what is your purpose? Like, why are you here? Mine personally is um, to spread love everywhere I go. I, um, I think that that's just a really important thing. And um, I have... Uh, and to leave everything better than how I found it. And so um, one, putting together your, your personal philosophy and then your why, like how, how health, like keeping your body healthy and strong impacts that personal why. And so when you have those hard days, because honestly, self-discipline and willpower, those work 90% of the time. 
but you have to have that deep rooted reason of why you do it. So on those days where you're like, I don't feel like getting up and exercising, you're like, no, I'm doing this because of this greater self-love that I have. And so that's like kind of part of my um, philosophy too is exercise isn't a punishment for your body. It's a celebration of what you can do. And so all of these things, eating healthy, exercise, taking care of your body, reading books, all of those things are out of love for yourself and out of the love and willingness and passion to progress and just become better. Not because you have this deep rooted um, self-hatred, but it's from this deep rooted self-love. And then in the process, you actually develop more self-love too, right? And so that's what I'm passionate about. And I feel like ingraining that into employees and having those programs set up of how they can better themselves, both like mentally and physically, then obviously impacts their career. When you're feeling good, when you're eating healthy, you're exercising, you're exuding this confidence and you're like, you feel like a badass, right? And that translates into your career tenfold. And so I know when I'm on top of my game, I can get so much more done in a day. And so back to your question about willpower, um, I think just deciding one, that that's the standard that you've said for your life. I really like Tony Robbins. I like a lot of his stuff. And he talks a lot about um, creating these standards for your life. If you say to yourself, I'm not that type of person, I'm just not the type of person that is healthy or works out or gets up early, then you're probably not going to do those things. But if you say to yourself, that is me, like that's the standard I've created for my life. And that's kind of your purpose, your why, and you have all of those driving factors, the willpower in the days when your willpower isn't there, then that comes in and you've just created that standard for your life. I think about so many things in there. Um, I'm going to go one direction, then we're going to go the other. So the first direction is, um, you know, when I hear people that I really respect who have what appears to be great willpower, so often I hear them described as like, I don't know if I have the best willpower, but I had enough willpower to create the habit. Mm, yep. And then by just not breaking the habit, I didn't actually have to have that much willpower. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking like, okay, do I love myself enough to do this at 4 a.m. though? Mm. So what time do you go to sleep to be up at 4? <laughs> so typically I go to sleep around like 9. I Well, I was doing really good going to sleep at like 9.30 or 10. And then now it's a little bit later. I usually wake up around like 5.30 or 6. So, <laughs> so you let yourself go to sleep. Yeah, okay. so, be, because sleep and rest is so important too. And honestly, like I probably ran myself into the ground a few times where it was like, you know, adding more into this. But um, for me, morning routine is so important. So I always say do some sort of movement And then something for your body, something for your mind, and something for your soul. And so even if it's five minutes, I think that – so that's a big thing too is starting your day off in that right mindset. And then that will help you with the willpower for the rest of the day. Well, um, I think about uh, how confidence in one area doesn't necessarily translate to other areas. Mm -hmm. You know, we have a lot of like special operations veterans on the show, Mm -hmm. especially even from the classified units. I mean, like these are the real life Jason Bournes, right? And 
they've got so much bravery when it comes to physical danger and things like this. And then sometimes they surprise themselves when they are so nervous about a business negotiation or mm -hmm. something in this other part of life. Like, uh, you know, I've got, you know, whether it's guests on the show or just friends who, who become really quite financially successful mm -hmm. from business and then self-image, which it's not as like it's become more common for women mm -hmm. to talk about self-image issues. And like, yeah. we're gonna, it's still not cool for dudes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like we got to like hold our manliness. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like for me, like I I like have to force myself to say like I have hated my whole life being the skinny guy mm -hmm. in the room. Like I'm like six, three, you know. 170 pounds or mm -hmm. something like that. You know what I mean? Like, and uh, like I'm, I make jokes about, um, well, of course the girls liked you. You were born with muscles on top of your shoulders. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like you don't yeah. know what it's like for a guy. And I think about like how many times it's like, I got frustrated trying to put on some muscle. Mm -hmm. My metabolism didn't slow down until I was almost 40. Mm -hmm. You know, I would, I would try, I would get frustrated. I would give up. And then I would, I would like, honestly, my self-talk was such a wimp compared to other things that I have been more brave on in life. Mm -hmm. And and uh, yet dudes don't talk about that that much right. yeah. with each other. Or I feel like they're starting to. And what is fascinating to me is the more and more I've just sat down with people and tr and understood their stories and them as people, at the end of the day, we are all just people with like every single one of us has some sort of pain and insecurity inside of us, even the top CEOs and all these men and women who have achieved these amazing things in their life, they all have some sort of insecurity. And I feel like a lot of that does come from um, stories that they told themselves. And I've been doing a lot of, I mean, in psychology, it's called your inner child, but where you've created these belief systems around who you are, what you're good at, what you do. And it is mind blowing to realize sometimes the self-limiting beliefs that we have that we've created just from different things in our minds, right? Like, um, you know, in third grade, maybe someone said to you, Jess, you are really skinny and made fun of you. And so then you yeah, took that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause kids are mean. like, kids can be so mean. And so, then you took that and created this story for yourself of, okay, I'm not as worthy in this certain aspect of my life because I'm really skinny and people make fun of me for that. And so some of that is diving deep into the stories that we've created for ourselves and subconsciously what we're telling ourselves. And so I can go down all the rabbit holes of breathwork, meditation, positive affirmations. You hear those and even I used to, I kind of did them before, but I used to kind of think like, okay, that's a little bit woo-woo for me. But there's a lot of science behind that of even just looking in the mirror and just telling yourself, okay, I'm a badass. Like I am worthy. I am this. I am that. And and really believing that. So, so I want to talk about uh, a word you brought up there, insecurity, mm -hmm. right? And I think, um, you know, there's so many entrepreneurs, investment fund managers, you know, people that we have regularly on the show, my friends, people who, um, for the men, it's like, I don't want to show weakness, mm -hmm. manliness, these kind of things to the point where we're like, we're not willing to be humble enough to actually ask for advice from somebody who's figured that part out. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, I was successful in this field, so I should be able to handle that. Mm -hmm. And uh, like, it's almost like shame of like, why can't I handle that? Right. Like, uh, 
And I, I feel like in some ways it can be worse for women where it's like they're so worried about being labeled as whiny or mm-hmm. weak, you know, that they almost overcompensate even further. For sure. Uh, especially if they're around men. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's it can happen like personal life, health, things like this. But then in the business life, it's like, oh, I became the CEO of this because I was such a good engineer. I figured mm-hmm. out this technology or I, um, you know, I came at it from more of a sales background of like I knew I could move the product personally. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, people typically start businesses for a bunch of different reasons, but it's not that often because I'm awesome at marketing. Mm-hmm. Right. And yet, like, again, people running tens of millions or hundreds of millions of business um, who it can feel like a black box. Um, and it doesn't help that it's like, so I'm an art school dropout mm-hmm. originally before I get into investment banking. And that's I'll, way different. Those are two completely different things. <laughs> yeah. Well, I got a job in investment banking because my sales training business had gone out of business. We were, we were making enough money to stay in business mm-hmm. and we went out of business. Okay. And I was like, there's something I don't know about money. Yes. So I'm like, I, it's so funny. I called the headhunter who had got me my job at Black & Decker before mm-hmm. quitting to start the sales training business. And I was like, her name's Heather. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, Heather, I'm back on the market. I need a job, but I need a job in money. <laughs> I need a job in money. <laughs> <laughs> because apparently I don't know enough about it. So I went and applied for all these like stockbroker jobs and uh-huh. stuff. And they'd look at my resume and they'd be like, so what was it about your background, Jess, that made you think you might qualify for this? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, nothing, but I can learn anything. Yeah. And so I'm sure I, I'm sure I could get good at this. Yeah. I didn't get any You're of like, jobs. Oh, you didn't know. <laughs> no. You're like, but, no, that's why I want it. But Heather did call me back a few weeks later. And was like, hey, do you want to do... Do you want to do investment banking and mergers and acquisitions at Citigroup? And I was like, sure. Yeah. No idea they're the number one firm in the world for mid-market MA at the time. Oh wow. And like that I'd be like having to go through all these extra interviews because I didn't have an MBA and oh. <laughs> all these things, right? And it's impressive uh, you got it though, without experience. Well, I think the only reason I got it is they they needed more biz dev. Okay. They needed more CEOs to want to sell their companies. Mm-hmm. And they're like, I think this kid can talk CEOs into starting the process with mm, us. Mm-hmm. So like, I wish I was like the cool deal maker doing things that were in the Wall Street Journal. It wasn't yeah. that. <laughs> uh, but I, it was like, it was an incredible learning experience to be mm-hmm. all around this. And oh, there's all these acronyms I didn't know and stuff. Yeah, right? but you learned. Yeah. Um, but uh, I was, you know, I'd raised uh, like maybe like 27 million mm-hmm. for a previous investment fund of ours. And I'm like, in my late 20s, CEO going like, uh, I don't actually, like I'm totally not qualified for the job, mm-hmm. but I started the business so I didn't have to put in a resume. Mm-hmm. Right? And I came to this conclusion like, wow, if I learned a little bit more about marketing, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have to go sell so much. Mm-hmm. Right. And you're always on, I mean, investment fund business is like a huge majority of the investment fund, investment fund business is the fundraising. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like when you're 28, but you look 19, mm-hmm. that's not that's always hard. the easiest. Yeah, people right? aren't going to trust you as much. I, I literally, my my one partner is like 16 years older than me. And uh, and I did go to one meeting when he wasn't there yet. Mm-hmm. And they literally asked, is your dad coming? Oh. <laughs> I was like, well, actually, I'm the CEO. You know? Oh, that is yeah. so funny. But, um, but like for me, trying to learn marketing, not having a degree, not mm-hmm. having a background in it. You know, I've read all the books and I try to interview smart people like you who mm-hmm. are obviously good enough. Amazon wants to hire you. Yeah. Right? Um, when you, when you meet with these CEOs that have businesses and they've hired some agency who's, it's almost like I can cover it for my insecurity by just hiring somebody smart. Yep. Except 
I don't actually know if they're doing the right thing or not. Right. And I unfortunately have wasted, wasted a lot of money mm-hmm. on marketing agencies going like, oh, they're so good. They had, they've worked for this fancy business. You know, their other clients are so impressive. I'm mm-hmm. sure they'll do a good job for us. And it ended up not being the case. Yeah. So um, this is like the longest lead up to a question of all time. I love it. Uh, so I want to talk about this. If you were talking to a CEO today, mm-hmm. they are successful and they secretly they secretly are feeling insecure mm-hmm. that they don't know if their agency is doing a good job or not. Mm-hmm. They, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of likes and da da da, but I don't really see our revenue moving. And did we get a good deal with those influencers and are we using them in the right way? Right. What are some of the first, like just basic principles of they're successful, they're making millions and something's going okay with marketing, but I couldn't tell you what it is. There are a lot of different scenarios here too, right? Of if you're about to start a company and you have funding, I would say I've seen this happen quite a few times where these CEOs get in this place where they've wasted a ton of money on agencies and on marketing because they weren't asking the right questions upfront and they weren't building it a certain way. So if you're a, a CEO or a company who's just starting out, I would say, Get someone who knows something about marketing who can ask those right questions to make sure you're building your website on the right platform. You have all of these things in place because I promise you it will save you so much heartache and money in the end. Um, I just I've seen people build websites on the wrong platform or use these tools that they didn't actually need or not use tools that literally could have saved them tens of thousands of hundreds of thousands of dollars if they would have just known the right question to ask. Um, And so initially get someone in there who knows something about marketing, whether that's like a fractional CMO, because a lot of times starting out, you don't need a full marketing person on your on your um, payroll. And so that's where what I've been doing has been really valuable for people where They don't really need a full marketing person, but they need someone as a consultant to come in and help just ask the right questions and point them in the right direction. So if they're already established and ideally they bring someone in in in-house who knows something about marketing, if they don't, then yes, hiring some sort of consultant to just monitor what the agencies are doing is super helpful. Just because, again, like, I came from the marketing agency world and I love agencies, but I've also seen them just screw people over and charge them for things that they don't actually need. It's like if I were to go into a car dealership and get my car fixed, I'm like, I don't even know the right questions to ask, right? And so uh, with that, I would say a lot of times just asking the agency that you're working with for a full audit and breakdown of what they've been doing Because agencies build differently. So sometimes they'll build just of a, hey, I'm going to bill you a a $20,000 retainer. And you don't exactly know what they're doing. And so making sure you have an itemized list of everything they're doing, if they work on hours, if they have hours. I've even seen web dev agencies where they say they're going to do this certain thing in Shopify. And they say, oh, this will take me 15 hours, but it's really like a one hour thing. And so just having someone in there who can look at that and say, hey, flagging that that's not right is really valuable. I mean, no wonder you're having so many signups at Ghost Consultant. Yeah. But just as you're talking, I didn't, I didn't make this uh, connection until just now. 
Um, so my partners, John and Nick and I, we've done mm-hmm. a bunch of these different business together, investment funds, things over the last 21 years, right? We counted up. I think we've spent, it's somewhere between a million and a half and $2 million on legal. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I remember how things changed. We had this, so biggest law firm in Canada, we were running, yeah. we were doing, in, doing things like bringing like renewable energy technologies over from France, investing in stuff like this, right? We were with Gowlings, which is the biggest firm in Canada. And the Prestige helped us with our fundraising stuff, mm-hmm. right? But we were like, man, this is getting expensive. So we hired, we poached our best lawyer out yeah, of the of firm course. to go in house, right? Yeah. And it was shocking when the when the bill started coming in and she just started going through and lining things out mm-hmm. and sending it back to them. And like our, I was like, I know we're spending too much. Hence the reason we hired her. Yes. I didn't know what we were spending too much on. Right. Like I did have one meeting where they were like, they brought three of their lawyers mm-hmm. to one of my investor meetings and nobody said anything the whole meeting except mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. And I did I catch my advisor you. on the way. Yeah. I was like, so did I just get charged a thousand dollars for that meeting and you guys didn't say anything or do anything? And he's like, this guy's name is Frank. He's like, uh, yeah. I was like, how about we don't do that anymore? Yes. <laughs> right. But I hadn't thought about it of like that this would, I don't know. Just when you were saying, I thought like, how great is this? Like, don't just hire an agency, hire a former agency person to help you check up on them. Yeah. But like accounting, like if you're in a, you know, if you're in a business where maybe you're going public or things like this mm-hmm. and it's like. Everybody expects CEOs to be so good at the math and right. your P&Ls and all the stuff. There's a lot of shame about how many CEOs don't know how to read their own financial statements but mm-hmm. would never say it in public. Right. And so your accountant does this or and then you maybe have KPMG as your auditor for that. And you're like, awesome. You know, like basically like I, I pretty much get what's going on, mm-hmm. but you don't you wouldn't know how to redline it. No, like, this is just a principle that it probably applies anywhere right yes across the business no it totally does and so luckily with my background i know a little about a lot and so i can look at things and that was part of what i did at my agency was i would put together the budgets especially for websites so i would line item every single thing out and then walk the client through that and then expectations were aligned because if we needed to bill them more it was really obvious of okay we agreed to do a five page site now you're asking for five more pages, so that's going to be more. But a lot of times agencies are just like, okay, we're going to do this website for you. It's $100,000. And you're like, and there aren't a ton of line items. And so you don't know what you're asking extra for. And so sometimes you'll ask extra for things. And then all of a sudden you get a bill at the end of, oh, that turned out to be $15,000 more. And it's like, well, no one told me that that was. So that's one thing. I don't know if you've read the book Crucial Conversations, but That's one of my favorite books and communication and aligning expectations are so important to me. And that's what I built a lot of my career on. And so I've seen just that get ransacked with a lot of agencies between the the companies. And so, so yeah, that's what I pride myself of coming in and helping almost like, yeah, audit the agency and just make sure that they're not, because even if they're a great agency, it's if it's too easy to be like, oh, we're going to charge them $10,000 extra for this website. Like, I would think a lot. It like, would be a, a temptation. Lot of, yeah, it would be a temptation just because the other people don't know, right? Yeah. And so just having someone in there, like you said, of, okay, I, I know what, what you're doing. I speak your language. I know how much this should, you know, take. 
And so that was another thing too, even with like design projects and social, I always put together the budgets for those things. And so I know if someone's designing something or if someone's writing a blog article, I know how long that should take. And so- It's funny, I keep thinking about legal. Like over time, it got to the point where we'd be like, because I mean, lawyers, especially when you have multiple people at hundreds Mm -hmm. of dollars an hour, like those bills add up so fast, right? Yes. And we started doing this thing where it's like, Hey, so we're going to do this. So the great, what do you think that'll cost? Like it's not in stone, but yep. like, give me a range on, Oh, Jess, this will be 30 grand, mm-hmm. right? For this offering document. It's like, great. So can we have this agreement that, uh, you're not going to bill me for anything over that unless mm-hmm. we have a conversation. Yes. And if it takes more than that, like we can have that conversation, but, uh, I don't want to surprise $50,000 bill instead of mm-hmm. 30. Okay. Yep. And there was a bunch of lawyers like, you know, hadn't had clients talk to them like that. Yeah. But I just. You know, like I got to the point where it's like, hey, <laughs> we're going to. Right. right. But it's stressful to just keep getting bills and you're like, I don't even know what I'm paying for. So l- let's let's talk about this. So line items. Mm-hmm. That's something a green advance. Yes. Um, I do feel too, like, especially when I'm nervous about like, well, I'm supposed to be the boss. I'm supposed to know what I'm buying. Right. There can be for me this temptation to not expose my own ignorance. Right. And as you're talking, I'm thinking like. No matter what I'm buying, I sh- if I'm if I'm paying for it, you know, our investors' money or our you know money that could be giving staff bonuses mm-hmm. instead, I'm paying these guys for it, right? Right. Um, saying like, can you explain this to me? Can you help me understand why that costs that much? And like, kind of like lower my ego and being willing to ask the things that might make me look dumb and uninformed. Yes, but what you just said, that phrase, help me understand, is one of my favorite phrases because that. I don't feel like makes you look dumb. You're just saying, hey, help me understand this. You're not saying, hey, I don't get this at all. Like, explain it to me. But then you're also coming from a place of understanding where it's not, it doesn't put the other person on the defensive. So I use that a lot in my professional and personal life too of, hey, help me understand this. And then it puts the person at ease and they're like, okay, yeah, let me explain that to you. And so, so yeah, I think aligning, making sure that you know the overall budget and then those line items of what you're getting for that. And then sometimes like agencies mess up too, right? And so just they might not even know, but then once they dive in and they're explaining it to you, they're like, yeah, we probably overbilled you for this. You're doing this kind of work for huge organizations like a Samsung and then you know, for an organization, maybe people wouldn't recognize the logo, Some mm-hmm. right? Um, can you talk about some more of these kind of things of like, okay, so let's get a line items and what we're being billed for. Mm-hmm. Any any other just like tips for CEOs who are, you know, in Florida today listening and they can't, they're not going to be able to hire you? Yeah, I would say just, I mean, if you can get someone in-house, that's that's great to at least just be able to to assess what's going on. But then also making sure that whatever agency you're working with, they th- you have either weekly or monthly meetings. And then a lot of agencies, what they'll do is they will set up OKRs. So making sure that they're, they're working towards something. So that's a big issue that I've seen a lot is especially if you have siloed agencies. So one who's doing your SEO, one who's doing your paid, one who's doing your social. They're not all aligned with <clears throat> a common goal of okay, what is the point of doing all of this? Are we all working together? Are we all speaking to each other? Is one agency like doing 
is there overlap where they're all kind of doing similar work where one spent five hours of research on the same topic that could have just been passed over to the agency. So the ideally, the ideal situation is that you have one agency who's doing a lot of your work, but at the same time, not all agencies specialize in everything. So it's good to have one either agency or person who's overseen the whole strategy, you have to have that or else you're just going to be shooting arrows at nothing, honestly. And so you have to make sure that there's this cohesive strategy in place and that also um, we call it omni-channel marketing where all the channels are aligning, right? And so if you have one message on your website that's your marketing message but then the ads that you're driving to that website don't match up, you're going to drive people to your website who are thinking a certain thing. But then when they get to their web, your website, it doesn't align with what they just saw on the ad. So, so yeah, I would say my biggest piece of advice is making sure you have an overall strategy. And it's interesting because a lot of times, so marketing and business strategy overlap like crazy, right? And so a lot of times I end up kind of going on the business strategy side of things too, because marketing, you can drive people to your website all day, every day, but if the actual business strategy doesn't make sense, you're going to just burn and churn customers. And so making sure that sales, business, marketing are all aligned with, okay, how are we driving customers to us? And then how are we selling them? And then how are we retaining them? And so a lot of times people will drive a bunch of customers to them, but then they won't even know, okay, how many customers are we actually retaining? Are we just burning and churning clients? And so so kind of diving in and looking at that and making sure the different teams are, are working together. And then I would say um, if you're building, like a lot of times people are either building a new website or redoing their current website, making sure that they're building it on the right platform for what they need. And so either going to an agency that can audit that and kind of dive into what their goals are versus just going to, a, you know, yeah. a company that specializes in WordPress saying, hey, we need a website, but that's not actually what you need. Well, it makes me think like I should hire an agency and then I should hire an agency or consultant to audit that agency for me just yeah. on some limited basis. Yeah, um, especially if you don't have your own CMO or marketing director. Yeah. So... The world of influencers, mm -hmm. right? Content entrepreneurs, uh, different terms. There's, it It feels like it can be so hot and cold. Yes. And that people, uh, so much of that can be a black box. There's mm -hmm. the people who feel like, oh, if I just get an influencer to say this and put it out on their channels, mm -hmm. along with their regular content, everything will be fine. Yep. And then there's other people who think it's a complete scam and it never works. Mm -hmm. We know that some of them are overpriced. Oh, so yes. Right? Mm -hmm. Um. Uh, like there was this heyday where it's like, hey, just your subscriber counter, just your how many views per video you're getting on YouTube was enough to get brand deals. Right. right? Yep. And and then there's to me, it feels like um, there's become like quite a resurgence in influencer is like up, down. And it feels like it's coming back where it becomes less allowed, less about mass numbers. Mm -hmm. And at least the smart brands that I talk to, they get really worried about how connected is this person right. who consumes their content every day? Yep. And, and are their audience like 
are they a casual subscriber or are they a dedicated subscriber? And like the quality right. of an audience has seems to be such a determiner. But I'm an outsider. Tell me what you think is really oh, going on. Yes, this is such an interesting question because a lot of times brands do think if I can get this influencer who has two million followers and they talk about this our product, that's going to just make a huge difference. And in reality, consumers are getting smart, right? Like, you know, if you watch that influencer and they just do one plug about a product, it's probably paid, right? Like, and they probably don't even use the product themselves. And so I would say authenticity is the most important thing in influencer marketing. And I found, at least on the campaigns that I've worked on, a lot of the smaller influencers actually do better and drive more revenue. So I worked with a food company and we got about 30 big influencers all in to talk about these macro balanced meals. And most of them had a million plus followers and brought in a handful of sales. Well, our biggest, our influencer that brought in the most, she had like 60,000 followers on Instagram, but she truly believed in the product and she used it all the time. And so she would just talk about it constantly. And she brought in probably 20 times more than anyone else did. Really? Yeah. And so it was really interesting to see. It was fascinating because it's like she was literally our smallest person and we almost didn't bring her on because we were like, well, she's not really that big. And so I've seen more of the micro influencers do better. And then also there's a lot of different strategies that you can do where you utilize your current customers, right? And so customer loyalty programs are really big and really important where you have a customer that's constantly buying from you. They tell their friends about it. That a lot of times drives more revenue and is uh, people trust them, right? And so... So getting your customers having some sort of customer loyalty is really great. And then any sort of influencer program that you do, I would say be very careful. I would never just throw $20,000 at a big influencer. If you're doing it to align their name with your brand, and that's a really important aspect of it, then maybe. But if it's just for exposure on their social platforms, I would never just throw yeah. Any like I wouldn't even throw two thousand dollars at a at a at an influencer. A lot of times I would you can incentivize what's the most important thing with influencer marketing is finding out what they value. So let's say there's an influencer that you really want to work with who uh is really passionate about um like let's say you have a female empowerment company and she's super passionate about female empowerment. Well, what's something that you could involve her in or give to her or an experience that you could create for her that would enable her to really capture her why and then talk about that on her platform? So I think just thinking more strategically about it is really important with influencer marketing than just throwing, you know, tens of thousands of dollars at people with a big following. Yeah. I mean, it, to me, as I'm listening to you, it sounds like it's a level of thoughtfulness. You think about like old school marketing, just put it on TV. Mm -hmm. Just show it to enough people, somebody will buy it. Put it on the, put it on a billboard, show it to enough people, somebody will buy it. Mm -hmm. And I think so many people wanted to bring that to that space of like, oh, look, they've got a big following. Right. It, it seemed so simple. Like, oh, we just pay them. We just pay them. Like, yeah. And then it's done. And as I'm hearing you talk, it, there's like a level of thoughtfulness and a... This concept of like, 
and actually, I wanted to ask you this because you've been on the other side yep. getting approached, right? Mm -hmm. People see your tens of thousands of followers. They they look at your stuff. They feel like they feel like your brand safe yep. or whatever, uh -huh. right? Um, and my guess is there's a lot of people that approach you like a walking ATM machine mm -hmm. of what can we get from you, right? Or they try to sneak things. And, and like try to make it seem like it's in your benefit to do stuff for them for free. Or, right. Yep. Um, can you talk about, let's say a brand has been thoughtful about like, uh -huh. hey, here's a reason we actually think, we actually think this is someone to align with. It's not just like buying billboard space. Right. Yeah. Right? Can you talk about best practices for reaching out to that influencer way that has the higher likelihood of being considered? Yeah. Brands got really big on codes, like affiliate marketing, basically for influencers. And so a lot of times brands would just reach out and say, hey, can you use our link and like post about this and you earn a commission? And it's like, I haven't even tried your product yet. Like, I don't even know if I like what you're what it is. And so for the brands that would reach out and say, hey, we love what you're doing. No pressure. We want to send this to you and we'd love for you to post about it or, you know, if you like it. So anytime I was, I thought, no, I probably won't like that product. I would never say yes, just because I, it wasn't a win-win. Because, but anytime I was like, yeah, I, I could probably like this product, I would say yes. They would send it to me, and then a lot of times, just to be nice, I would give them a shout out or something, and that led to bigger brand deals. Um, but there's so much, like every company now has a code that they can give you. And for me, I want my, I keep my page really authentic. And so I don't want to just be constantly giving people codes. And, and it also wasn't my primary source of income. I, I wouldn't consider myself, oh, the fitness influencer is my, is my job. And so I just did it because I was passionate about it. And so I created this authenticity around my brand where I would just constantly talk about stuff that I wasn't even really getting paid for just because I was telling people like, oh, go to this restaurant. It's really good. And so I built up this trust with my followers that whatever I say, I actually do. And so I think making sure that you are targeting those people, too, that could actually be customers. And again, it comes back to that authenticity is the most important thing in influencer marketing. And and I would say yeah, just making sure that you're actually giving the influencer a chance to try your product out or you're utilizing your customer base. So there are different uh, tech, like technology platforms out there that you can use where you go through your customer list and it will see how many followers they have and who are influencers that are already your customers. So if you can find those, and, and I can't remember the name of the tech platform, but if you can find a platform like that where basically you're utilizing your current customers who already are influencers, that's the most powerful. Like, that's a good because insight. if I'm already if I'm already taking a product like I, I still, you know, I buy this product called Ultima. It's an electrolyte powder. And they actually randomly reached out to me and said, hey, do you want to, you know, do some stuff with us? And I was like, yeah, I already take your product. And I'm guessing they probably use some sort of platform <laughs> like that because it was like, yeah, that's a no brainer for me. I literally buy my products or your products myself. So, of course, I all, you know, take a discount code and and tell my followers about it. I hadn't really made this connection either until you're talking. I'm thinking about this show. Mm -hmm. Right. Like so both on the sponsors and the guest side. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I 
at this point have decided to turn off all sponsorship because mm. I wanted I was more worried about like the listener experience and mm. the viewer experience. And yeah. like I'm not saying we'll never have ads on the show again and stuff, but I was like, I was more like this isn't like we're lucky enough to be to make quite a bit of money doing our right. other things. I didn't need to eke out that little extra yeah. for for doing this, like because what it would be compared to our other income. And so I just I was trying to think of like from the user, like I hate so many ads mm-hmm. on podcasts and things. So I'm like, why am I putting people through that when it's like I don't need that to pay the pay the rent, f- right. feed my kids groceries. Mm-hmm. Why am I putting my customer through that, right? Mm-hmm. And be, again, because we have the CEOs and the higher net worth. Um, both guests and and listeners and viewers, we do get reached out to a bunch. Right. And it's just so obvious when they have definitely n- know nothing about me. Right. And like they don't know about like my family values and, and this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And they're like, they're, I won't name names, but like there's one that over and over and over to be considered. And I'm like, mm. maybe you should listen to a couple of shows and realize right. why this is never going to happen. Like, in fact, I think your product should be illegal. Mm-mm. You know, like there's there was no context of me, right? Right. And yes, that inauthenticity when people reach out to you and ask, that's like, not only will I not promote your stuff, but now I have like a really bad taste in my mouth for your brand because you didn't even take the time to really understand yeah. yeah where I was. And granted, you can't do that with every little influencer, sure. right? But like for the big, the big ones that you want to work like really personally work with or the podcast that you want to be on, I would definitely do your research for sure. Well, like this show. So like I I think about the guests, Mm -hmm. right? So, you know, on Apple Podcasts, we're often ranked number one in the world for innovation, right? And we're, I think we're closing in on 800 episodes, maybe another 15 or something will be at 800, right? Well, I feel honored to be here. (laughs) Thanks. Uh, Like right now, we're at the point where mostly just turning down 95% of people trying to get on the show. Yeah. Right. And the PR people do all these pitches and the da, da, da. And, and it's funny because there's like, either there's no reference at all to the mm-hmm. show. And it's like some intern is just machine gunning every podcast out there. Right. Mm-hmm. Or they're like, they've got this, like the, the half of the first sentence mm. is like, Oh, Jess, I really enjoyed your last episode with plug in the name of some episode. They looked yeah. at da, 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 da. Would you consider my client? Right. Mm-hmm. And what's funny is like, I guarantee so many of these people didn't review that episode. Right. Oh, but that for is, sure. But that is even like somewhat more attractive than the person who didn't even put in the fake line. I know. Yeah. Their episode, right. Yep. And then there's those folks that like they really actually listen to some episodes mm-hmm. and they've got a reason on why. And like even when they're not a fit, like they get I like I personally write them. I give them encouragement. I mm-hmm. say like like they get outreach from me. And then and then those are the ones who I'm who on our on JessLarson.net, yeah. we've got this tab that says suggest a guest. And yes. it says like, uh-huh. hey, we're looking, you know, have you grown your business at least over hundred million in revenue? Mm-hmm. Are you, you know, are you an A-list celebrity? Are, you know, were you special operations, pro athlete, something mm-hmm. like this? And and if not, like, because we get so many responses, we typically only respond to the ones that match. That right? are, yeah. Well, I let people on the show sometimes who don't match because they invested in me uh-huh. before the outreach. Like those are the only way mm-hmm. that make people make it through, right? Yeah. And um, instead what I get is the same form letter like four times in a row on a guest. Mm. And you're like, this lack of like, lack of the fact of recognizing there's another human on the other end of this. Right, yeah. Makes it so that like, not only you're not getting on the show, you're not even getting a response. Right. Because of, it's like, it's just so impersonal, mm-hmm. right? And so and that, then it makes me think, okay, 
who do we want to work with? Who do we want to reach out to? Because my team is reaching out to all these high profile people. Right. And as I'm saying all this, I'm thinking like, you know, we could do more work on letting them know why they picked us. Yeah. So like, I'm I'm lucky in having a team. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I literally just have a Pinterest board. Okay. And as I'm going through my daily life, I'm like, oh, that person looks awesome. And I just click the button <laughs> and it goes to the team. Yeah. But I'm not spending enough time probably with the team to say why I wanted that person and please pay that person this compliment. Mm-hmm. Hey, even if you don't have time for our show, just let you know you've got one more fan out there for this yeah. reason, you know, and like giving them context. So uh-huh. I, I guess I should that's, be a hypocrite. Yeah, that's that is true. Yeah. Well, we'll have to see how your messages change after this. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> right. You're going you're gonna to audit. No, me. I'm sure you're doing great. Um, listen, I, I know we've used up most of our time on other things, but I thought this would be a fun episode of both, not just the expertise of like, how can today's founders and CEOs maybe feel uh, a little less trepidation mm-hmm. about asking their agencies for an itemized list and yes. saying, can you help me understand? And mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, use that phrase, help me understand. (laughs) uh, But I want to talk about the other side for a minute of like, you're going from being the expert to being the CEO. Yes. Um, Talk to me about what those decisions are like right now as you're you're looking at building a business. Yeah, no, that's a great question. So I have the the marketing consulting, so ghost consultants. But then, yes, on the on the other side, I have a fitness brand called Become Your Fit. I kind of talked about how I'm really passionate about fitness and for some reason, just the last few years, I've had this phrase in my head of become your fit, which fit stands for um, more of a fuel your body, ignite your mindset, and then um, train with purpose. And so it's all about nutrition, mindset, and movement. And so through that, I'm coming out with a workout app that has your workouts and meals to make it really easy for people because I spent so much time just going down the rabbit holes of what I should do. And so I wanted to create something that would make it a lot easier for people, just the basics. Even all of the exercise and diet programs out there, I feel like there's so much, there's so many good things, but also so much crap out there. And just doing the basic things is kind of what it comes down to. So back to your question of how I'm feeling as a CEO, overwhelmed. It is it's one thing to build someone else's business, but when it's yours, when it's your own and all the decisions are on me, it is, it's stressful. But I will say with my marketing background, it's very, very helpful to be able, cause that's how I've, I kind of went backward a little bit of, okay, what do people need And that's a lot of people come out with a business because of that, right? You see a problem and a need and you're like, okay, I want to solve that need. But then I also thought through, okay, what is the messaging behind that? And what's my marketing plan around that? And then developing my product around that. So I will say I've seen a lot of companies start out where they didn't have any sort of marketing plan in place. So they create these awesome products but they have no sort of way to get them out in front of people. And so having a marketing background has been helpful just in that sense. And then starting to build an email list and before I launch and just kind of doing all of those basic things. Uh, I've seen that be a really successful tactic with a lot of companies when you're launching a new product, just making sure that you're getting people excited about it, having a pre-launch, making sure you're building a customer base, 
when you actually, when it comes time to launch. For people, for content entrepreneurs who are trying to build an audience, mm -hmm. um, there's, there's so many that never get to mm -hmm. even a thousand, let alone in the tens and tens of thousands. Um, what, what's one piece of advice you'd have for them on creating a connection with their audience or how to grow it? I would make sure, so social trends change constantly, right? And so right now the place to be is TikTok. Uh, <laughs> we all love it and we all hate it. But just knowing where to be and then also trying to build on multiple channels, but understanding where your audience is. So if, if I'm talking about a certain thing or a certain industry, that might be on LinkedIn more so, or it might be on TikTok more, um, or it might be on Instagram. And so starting with one social channel, but then trying to build on the rest of them because they all cross pollinate. And then as much as you can, making connections with other people. So being on someone's podcast or doing a, a multiple, like a video with someone that has more followers than you is very, very helpful. And then I would say my biggest piece of advice is being authentic. So having, if you're trying to sell something, make sure that that's not what you're doing all the time, but that you're creating this value add around it. And so if you're trying to sell uh, one company that I'm starting to work with, all of their solar guys. So if they're, all of their solar guys obviously want to bring in more people, both clients and on their leader, like more people to sell solar on their team. And so making sure that it's not directly, hey, these are all the reasons you should sell solar with me or you should be a client. But it's more so creating this like, OK, here's this lifestyle that I have. Here's here are all the benefits of why solar is great. So kind of going a step further and then. We say in, in marketing and whenever you're trying to build your social media to always have five buckets that you focus on. So one of those could be promotional, one could be lifestyle, one could be funny. I'm working with a clothing brand right now and we just went through that exercise where a lot of their content that they were posting was all salesy. And so we went through and developed their strategy around, okay, here are your five content buckets that we're gonna focus on and then mixing up that content to hit different audience. We're at uh, Pillow Cube in their, mm -hmm. in their uh, podcast room today. And uh, Jay Davis has been on the show a bunch. And um, so nice of him to lend us, lend us the booth yeah, today. Yeah, this is a great but room. these guys have really embraced funny. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's done extremely well for them. And I, I want to talk about this for one second because it can go so wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, and um, can you talk about, like, the double-edged sword of, like, or just a guidance mm -hmm. for like, hey, comedy can be such an accelerator and can can really drag you down quick by being tone deaf. Can yes. you give some guidance on doing funny right? So I would just keep in mind, okay, if you, I wouldn't make fun of any certain group, right? Like there's, but at the same time, there are people that could get offended over anything that you do. And so also know that, you can't take life too seriously and be so obsessed with, are we going to hurt this person's feelings or offend this person that then you get paralyzed and don't do anything. But I would say just don't make fun of any sort of group and, you know, all of the, the specific, you know, like any sort of gender or race or type of person, don't just get stay canceled. away from that. Do not get yourself canceled. But at the same time, 
like sometimes funny does offend someone who takes things too personally. So I would say like both are important and to not get paralyzed, but to also just use common sense. I guess common sense isn't as common these days, but um, yeah, just to be lighthearted about it and take into account if if you if you were on the other side, what would you want people to say? I, w- I do want to ask this question, though. Now that you are not the objective consultant mm-hmm. advisor telling the brand what to do and it's your brand. Right. And you have like the same thing all of us CEOs have of like, do I do this? Do I do that? Do I mm-hmm. do this? And you're like driving yourself nuts. Mm-hmm. What do you do to solve that problem when you're like, you know, I've got to attract the people. The messaging has to work, all these things. H- how do you help yourself become objective and make a choice? I talk to other people. I when you get in your head and you're so far in the weeds and it's like you're looking at the same thing every single day, I have to talk to some of my friends who are in similar industries uh, and kind of just get their advice. So I have to humble myself a little bit of, okay, I know a decent amount, but a lot of times a pair of fresh eyes, kind of what we talked to at the very beginning, is so helpful because sometimes when I'm looking at the same thing over and over again and I'm kind of set on this certain way to do it, just talking to someone about like, hey, this is what I'm planning on doing. They bring all these other ideas to the table. <laughs> it's so important to develop the right friendships mm-hmm. that you can call. Like I'm thinking about my friends that I can text at 945 at night and be like, hey, I'm having like a crisis. Yes. <laughs> I'm having like a decision crisis. Can you hop on the phone? Yeah. Right. And well, and that's what my my friends and I talk about when we go out to dinner. We're like, hey, what's your business doing? What are you doing? Like, and we all try and help each other. And so we've kind of created this community around, hey, we're trying to empower each other and whatever we need help with because we all have different skill sets. It's been actually really valuable. Well, it's funny to me every once in a while when you, like there'll be some friend that like, you know, the the ratio of, of conversations has been about their business, like mm-hmm. over and over and over. And like, you know, like the natural part of me starts to be like, oh, man, we're sure spending a lot of time on your stuff. Yeah. And then I'm in this like really rough situation and I call them this time. And it was like all of those conversations were worth it times 100 because mm-hmm. they were like the right person at the right time who knew me, who had the level of relationship where they could just give it to me straight. Yeah. You know what I mean? For sure. Yeah. And, and I believe that everything that you put out into the universe kind of going to energy vibrations that comes back to you tenfold. And so I always try and help as many people as I can because I found when I'm when I'm creating that sense of abundance, positive energy in my life, that comes back to me. Such a magnet. Like mm-hmm. uh, I grew up in farm country in Western Canada. What? I didn't know that. Yeah. That's awesome. And so I think about like the Bible thing about like you're going to like the plant that's going to come out depends on what seed you put in. Mm-hmm. Pretty basic logic. Yeah. Right. And like generous, you know, generosity, giving even when it hurts a little, mm-hmm. you know, helping even when you're annoyed and like getting over yourself and like actually being there for them. Yep. I mean, that's that's what comes back later. Right. Yeah. It does. Uh, so I, I want as we kind of wind down here, I want to talk about the fitness space. Mm-hmm. And my question for you is on differentiation. I mean, there's no shortage of people will tell you what to eat, people will tell right. you what to do for a workout, people will tell you to believe in yourself and these mm-hmm. kind of things. And then yet there are folks that speak to different of us so much, mm-hmm. right? Like in, in general, there's so many of them that 
they're just they're not my guy. Right. Right. And then like there's there's a guy from the classified units of Army Special Operations mm-hmm. who I'm so stoked two days ago said he's gonna come on the podcast. Oh, that's um, awesome. But I've been following for years mm-hmm. because just the way he goes about it and his philosophy of why he's doing it and how he's doing it, uh, kind of, you know, I spent most of my younger years in martial arts and and just some of the different things that he incorporates and the reason why he's doing what he's doing uh, works for me. And so like, he's, he's my guy. Like right. I want to know what he's got to say all the yeah. time. Right. So my question for you is how to not disappear in a sea of sameness. Right. Like, what are you, what are you going to do? I think it goes back to that word authenticity that I've said a few times of being authentic to yourself and, and knowing that you are not going to resonate with every single person and being okay with that. And so niching down to this is my message. This is what I'm good at. Because if you try and hit every single person, you're going to lose every time. That's marketing 101 of, okay, you have to understand your audience, who you're going after, and then target your messaging around it, and then be authentic as possible. The word authenticity gets tossed around so Mm -hmm. much. And then some people really mean it. Yeah. Right. Like, so the guy I'm talking about, his name is Pat McNamara. Uh Okay. And he's like, He's super into metal. <laughs> like he's really into like hardcore heavy metal. Yeah. Music, oh, right? interesting. And he's like, besides all the gun stuff and the martial arts stuff and the like the the stuff that you expect there, he's like, he's an artist. Uh-huh. And he like, he like, you know your buckets? Yeah. Your five different buckets. I think he's got like 45 buckets. Oh, different and, things you talk and about. And he's like, but it's like, it's the real him. Right. He's not like, oh, I wonder what I could make a video about. He's like, oh, I was doing this today. We should film that. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? And he's like, he's an interesting guy. Mm. And He's he's over the top and he's got like a he's got like a crazy goatee. Yeah. And he's like he's an over actor. You know uh-huh. what I mean? But that's so truly who he actually is. Yeah. That it's almost like endearing. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because you can tell he that's how he lives his life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Like he's I would be so embarrassed to try to pretend to be him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I love him so much because that's who he really is. Right. And it's like it's so evident that it's not an act like that's yes. who he genuinely is. Right. Like um, my one of my very favorite marketers is probably a lot of people's favorite marketers, but uh, Seth Godin. Oh, yeah. I love with all Seth his Godin. books. Right. Mm-hmm. The best speech he ever gave, I think, was two years ago at the Nordic Business Forum in the Finland one. He did a few. Okay? Uh huh. And he's talking about this idea of like not holding back. Mm. And he's like he's talking about like great screen, great playwriters mm-hmm. who weren't like, oh, that line's so good. Maybe I'll say that for my next play. Uh-huh. They're like, no, they go full steam ahead, right? Right. And he's like, he just has this one slide that stuck with me where it's like this cheetah just racing across the Serengeti. And he's like, this cheetah is not worried about it. And he starts listing things off. He's full cheetah. Mm-hmm. Do you mean like he's fully here? Yeah. Right? Being present. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so uh, my question for you is like, wh- what's one thing that is Nicole Jensen that isn't a dime a dozen for everyone. Like what, what's one, what's one unique thing or what's like when you're being authentic, what's a version? It's funny. If people were to describe me a few years ago, they probably would have said, I'm usually a very composed person. Like everyone always says, they think I have all my, all my shit together. Right. Um, but kind of just saying to people, Hey, life isn't about being perfect. And having all your crop together all the time, we make mistakes. It's full of, it's a journey, right? And so for me, I think just being imperfectly perfect is is what I've tried to do of, 
in my brand, I've tried to say like, hey, I'm struggling with this. Like, this is hard. Not a, hey, I have willpower every single day, all the time. And so I think that's kind of one thing that I've tried to set myself apart with of and what authenticity means to me of not doing things because you want to look a certain way or be perceived as a certain thing, but because you truly believe in it and that's how you live your life. And so basically just practicing what I preach of, hey, this is like I've created this healthy lifestyle and I live by it. And so and that just exudes to every aspect of my life. Let's wind it up here. Let's go through the websites again. Sounds mm-hmm. like LinkedIn's the best place to connect with you on social. Yeah, LinkedIn's great. And then website for Ghost Consultants is just ghostconsultants.org. And then Become Your Fit is just becomeyourfit.com. Okay. Uh, so I'll, I'll leave it this. We covered a lot of different subjects. What did I not ask that I should have? Or what's something that's really important to you that you want to end with? I think a big thing, just going back to the health side of things, is just how taking care of our physical bodies and our mindset just helps with every single aspect of our lives. And the more and more people that I talk to, I feel like it's so easy to just get into autopilot in our lives where we're just like a hamster in a hamster wheel where we just feel like we do the same thing over and over and we're not fully connected with ourselves. And so, I mean, again, that goes back to this authenticity thing of what does that really mean? And to me, that means um, having a why behind why you're doing the things that you're doing in your life. Is it because you're trying to please people, look a certain way, be a certain type of person? Or is it because you truly believe in those things? And what do you believe? What is your why? And so I would just challenge people, whatever they're doing in their lives, both personally and professionally, to take a step back and just assess. I think the very first step is self-awareness of, okay, what am I doing in my life? What stories have I created around these insecurities that I have? What is truly holding me back? And how do I get to where I want to be? And what are the steps to take? And that's actually what I started writing a book about a year ago of, I like for me in my life, and I saw a lot of people where they're like, hey, I want to level up. I want to go to the next level. But from like a fitness mindset, nutrition standpoint, I don't even know where to start. And so this book that I'm writing is all about kind of balancing those pillars of health. But at the same time, you can't ever be fully balanced in your life. And so it's about progressing and becoming better, but also loving yourself as you are. So that's, I'm going to end with that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I love it. I think a, a movie that uh, might surprise some people has become one of my very favorite movies of all time is uh, is Groundhog Day mm. with Bill Murray. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a big Viktor Frankl nerd. If yeah. anybody hasn't read Man's Search for Meaning. It's such a good book. About surviving the prison camps. It's, it's amazing. Auschwitz. And he's got this quote, which I'm going to I'm gonna totally misquote. But he says basically something about like, um, anyone can choose to become who they want at any time instant Mm -hmm. and decide from here forward, this is who I'm going to be. And to me, that movie Groundhog Day is like, you know, there are so many elements of our life. Like for me, get up, get kids to school, go to work, come home, family dinner, get kids Mm -hmm. in bed, go to sleep, do it over again. That can be a little Groundhog Day. Yeah. Uh And and this idea that like 
almost like life is like an unlimited video game mm-hmm. where every day is like a whole new life. Yeah. Like w- there's a stoic thing about treating every day like a life. Mm-hmm. And so this idea of like, regardless of how all of my previous lives, like all the previous days to today. Right. This today is a new life. Mm-hmm. What life do I want to live? Can I choose it? Um, and it's almost like this for me, it's like this mental switch of like you saw Bill Murray wake up over and over and over. Right. And you can just like almost see it on his face of like, what am I going to do today? Yep. And sometimes that was frustrating. Sometimes that was fun. And then like by the end, he's living this he's living this philosophy that I don't know if Albert Einstein said this or Albert Schweitzer. I think it was some, some Albert. Albert. Yeah. Some we'll, Albert. we'll just say Albert said yeah. this. Yeah. Um, only a life lived for others is worth living. Mm-hmm. And I think about my own ambition and all the things I want and all these kind of things. Uh, and yet that movie shows that like genuine authenticity and stuff wasn't about selfishness or, you know, like the true fulfillment was when he's running around catching the kid who falls out of the tree, mm-hmm. giving the Heimlich maneuver to this guy, fixing the old lady's tire and all yep. these kind of things. And it's like this reminder of like ambitious and ambition is fine, but ambition, ambition just to what benefit to everyone else. Right is something that helps me. Yeah, no, and that's beautifully said. And I'll take that a step further of saying, in order to achieve your greatest potential and help the most amount of people, you first have to take care of you internally. And I know like I've made that mistake in my life and that's why I'm so passionate about of giving, giving, giving so much that then I realized my cup was empty. And so we've all heard that phrase of, put on your, you know, oxygen mask first before you help the person next to you. And so in order to truly help people, you have to first make sure that your health and you're taking care of yourself. And then that will just tenfold how much energy and compassion and um, ability you'll have to help the people around you. Well, it goes back to when you were talking about leaders and caring about their people and their people's health, mm-hmm. right? Like, um, don't I need to set the example? Yes. And, and Yes, you do. Are I, you? <laughs> if I set a good enough example, isn't it so much more likely to become contagious? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. When people, yeah, people follow leaders that are actually, they're not hypocrites, right? Like if you see a leader who's just say, do what I say, not as I do, then you you lose a lot of respect for them. So, so yeah, that's a very important aspect in leadership. Okay. This is a super fun episode. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, thanks for having me. Okay.